1: Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, Melissa? Doing pretty good. I
0: almost said a weather thing, but now I've got to come up with anything else to say. I don't have anything.
1: No, I wasn't going to comment on the weather, but equally as boring, I was going to comment on like all of a sudden I'm in panic mode because it's February, and I'm kind of just like, what is happening? I don't know. I obviously you this knew that it was coming, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to stop looking at the calendar. I know. Um, it's mind-blowing to me. It is a little bit crazy, February. You
0: are in perpetual calendar crises. I've just I am. I've never seen anything like it.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's why time like flies by so fast for me, because I'm just constantly looking at the day and being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's this day. <laughs> I know.
0: It's. I think that's another thing. We were just talking off mic about things that happen when you're getting – older aging, whatever age you are, as you get a little older, time flies by and everyone tells you that and you don't believe them. And like my son will be like so upset his birthdays in a few months. And I'm like, dude, when you get older, (laughs) you will see it more as like, just like counting the days like that you still get to be that age. (laughs) You're like, I'm not there yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. We have a birthday countdown going right now for my little one one, who is going to be nine um, in just about a month. So that is – definitely crazy to think of my yeah. youngest being nine years old like I don't even know I don't feel old enough I do not feel like I am old enough <laughs> no
0: and I can't believe he's gonna be nine that's like I just remember you wearing him on your back he was just such a, a little, little thing. kangaroo baby <laughs> yeah, I
1: love it. yeah all right Melissa so before we actually get into the story for this week there's something else that is very serious I want to address with you here on the podcast <laughs> oh okay
0: Love being surprised. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) So, you know, something we take very seriously is getting facts straight here on the show. And um, I believe that we had a little misspeak last week. When I say we, I mean you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that maybe you made a mistake whenever we were talking about a very infamous SNL skit involving the Chippendales. And I want to see if you wanted to correct yourself. (laughs) (laughs) because we have been getting comments all week about this. <laughs> all week.
0: I love it, though, because I'm like, people are really paying attention. That's what I think. Like, I was like, it was an Easter egg. We totally did it on purpose. Um, So I somehow got Patrick Stewart and Patrick Swayze confused. And <laughs> no idea how. <laughs> and, and I caught it when I was editing. And I was like, oh, no, just prepare yourself. Like, this is going to be a thing. But it was so funny. But I ended up having my daughter, like, uh, just do a little photoshopping, like very quick photoshopping on a picture of Patrick Swayze to put on Patrick, I'm sorry, I did it again, Patrick Stewart's face on Patrick, (laughs) Patrick Swayze's body. So now everybody knows like it was, it was a real thing. I got them confused because it clearly happened twice. So (laughs) this is a Mandela effect and you've all been wrong. I'm totally right with this.
1: Yeah, yes. So we all we have gotten things like confused on the podcast before. We've said like the wrong what? name of something or pronounced something wrong or just straight up said a completely incorrect fact. One of my favorite ones that we heard about forever was when we said that LSU oh, had the only live animal mascot, which is not what we meant to say. We meant to say they had the only live tiger, but people were very quick to let us know that that was a mistake that we had made. <laughs> so.
0: Honest to goodness, every
1: couple of months we will still get an email about that where I'm like, oh,
0: please release me from this curse. Yeah.
1: So um I I honestly it loved this one so much, this Patrick Patrick and Patrick um mix-up uh-huh. because I let it happen because as we all know, I am not very pop culturey, So I didn't miss you didn't it even catch way. it. I didn't even catch it. Okay. And I think that's the most beautiful thing is that I yeah. just let you do it. <laughs> and I genuinely didn't know until people started writing us on Instagram. And I was like, oh, no, this one's no. going to be big. <laughs>
0: That would make I would feel so much worse if you knew it and you just let me do it. Like I'm fine with you not knowing it. But if you would have heard me and been like, hmm, she's gonna get heat on this one. <laughs> yeah. That's that's wrong. We look out for each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely did not let you do that on purpose. <laughs> no.
0: It was fun and everybody it was like totally, you know, good sports about it and stuff. And I had fun with it doing like a little Photoshop thing and everything. It was just one of those, like, as soon as I said it, no, not as soon as I said it, as soon as I heard it back, I was like, Why? (laughs) What is wrong with you?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. All right, Melissa. We're (laughs) going to switch gears now and go into the episode for this week. But before that, I want you to imagine, if you even can, being so smoking hot and so charming that people were literally lining up to date and even marry you. Mindy, that is the rudest thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) You said, if you even
0: could. You don't know my (laughs) self-esteem. Actually, you do. It's pretty low. No,
1: I could not imagine this. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty unbelievable for me. Um, And if anybody listening is anything like me, then they probably also struggle to picture what that life would be like. I don't think there's a whole lot of us going around that are like, yes, I am so amazing. I can get anybody that I want. So I'm not saying that I think Melissa or myself um, are some hideous, awful people that nobody would ever want to date. I'm just saying I have my doubts that I would be able to convince almost a dozen men to marry me even if I had a lifetime to make that happen. It was hard enough convincing the one that I have to commit to me for life, but I just don't really have the energy that it would require to go through that whole song and dance more than a few times. The woman at the center of our story this week, however, had no problems when it came to matters of the heart. Jill Coit was quite the charmer. In fact, just about everyone who met her thought she was a lively, friendly woman who, although maybe a little bit eccentric— had a great sense of humor and what some who knew her described as a socialite personality. So it may not seem all that surprising that Jill earned the affection of men very easily and had no problem when it came to finding a husband or nine. But what happened to all of those husbands? And if Jill was so great, why did she get married and divorced so many times? Find out the answer to these questions and more right here on Moms and Murder. I really love that intro. Thank (laughs) you for that. That was awesome. (laughs) So
0: Jill was born on June 11th, 1943 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Her father, Henry Billiot, owned a marine business, and her mom, Juanita, stayed home with Jill and her younger brother. Jill had a pretty normal childhood, but for reasons unknown, when she got into high school, she actually moved away to live with her grandparents, and they lived in North Manchester, Indiana. It was here that Jill's exuberant personality really flourished, and where she began her adventures in conning men for their money. Jill always really considered men to be walking ATM machines. Wealth and financial security was something that Jill really cared a lot about, to the point that money was really the central point of her life and the focus for everything she did. And if you thought that that meant she worked hard and climbed her own way to the top, that's actually not at all what it meant. Jill figured out pretty early on that she could simply find a rich man to marry and then live on his dime until the well was dry. Jill was really a conventionally attractive and unique woman. She was indigenous and had a southern Louisiana accent, so she definitely stood out to people when they met her. Several sources claim that Jill was a model or a beauty queen at some point in her life, but we really couldn't find any evidence that she was ever crowned Miss Anything. Fun fact, though, Jill did once say that she was named Miss Eskimo Pie, which was a contest held by the Eskimo Pie ice cream people. Indigenous women would compete in a beauty pageant of sorts, and the winner was featured in parades,
1: photo shoots, etc. I feel like this sounds like something I want to be involved in. (laughs) An ice cream pageant? I could kill in an ice cream pageant. Yeah, I'm sure you get ice cream for life or something, right? I need this. Like, this is the kind of pageantry that I need in my life. I know, I could put on a bathing suit for this. and no, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and people would tell me
0: not to anyway. Um, but it can't be confirmed that Jill even won this title, but she does say that she did. Another thing about her was that she was extremely endearing and really seemed to always know the right things to say and the right things to do. Her sense of humor was really unmatched. Everyone who met her was taken by the way that she had this ability to really
1: make anyone laugh. Jill wasted no time at all finding herself a boyfriend. While she was still in high school, she met 18-year-old Larry Enan and subsequently dropped out of high school to be with him. They got married in 1961, but less than a year later, Jill filed for divorce and cleaned out their bank account. This was only the beginning of a long run of marriages, divorces, and bigamy for Jill. Following her first divorce, Jill went back home to Louisiana, and she enrolled herself in Northwestern State University of Louisiana, and this is where she met another college student named Stephen Moore. After dating for a little while, Jill and Stephen got married in 1964 and quickly found out that they were expecting a baby. Their son, Seth, was born in March of 1965, but the flame between Jill and Stephen was already dying out by that point. They split up shortly after Seth was born, but they never got legally divorced, and Jill literally moved right on with her life. The following year, Jill was having a night out in the French Quarter when she met the man who would become her third husband, a Teneco engineer named William Coit Jr. They got married in 1966, even though Jill had not yet taken care of that minor little detail about still being legally married to Stephen. She did end up divorcing Stephen, but not until March of 1967, which was a year after she had already married this other man, William Coit. After Jill and William got married, he adopted her son, Seth, from her second marriage. In November of 1966, Seth became a big brother after Jill and William had another little boy who they named Andrew. In March of 1968, another baby boy named Clark joined the family. And shortly after he was born, the family moved to Houston for William's job. William traveled for work really often, and while he was away, Jill spent her time entertaining other men and having full-blown affairs. And when William found out about Jill's infidelity, he accused her of only marrying him for his money, and they ended up getting a divorce. But they quickly got remarried. As you can probably guess, though, just because they got back together didn't mean that things were really all smoothed over. The couple continued to struggle with marital issues, and in the beginning of March of 1972, Jill filed for divorce yet again. And a few weeks later, on March 29th, things took an unexpected turn. 42-year-old William was suddenly found murdered in his own home. He'd been shot twice in the back and once in the head and arm. And we are going to get into a lot more details about this after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
0: If you love a good mystery, and we know you do, you'll love June's Journey. In this game, you'll play as June Parker, an amateur detective, which who among us doesn't secretly dream of being one? and you'll investigate a series of mysteries with tons of twists and turns at every stop. Not only is June's Journey visually a lot of fun thanks to the great animation and the fact that it's set in the roaring 20s, it's a fun way to play Sherlock from your phone.
1: June's Journey adds new chapters every week, so there will always be a new case waiting for you to crack. What I enjoy about June's Journey is that I can zone out and be immersed into a whole new world. I love to play at night once the kids are down and I'm done momming. Whether I'm searching for hidden clues, which feels like finding the missing piece of a puzzle, or solving a mystery as June Parker, I can have a lot of fun without having to leave the couch. June's Journey transports me from my home into a world filled with mystery and
0: intrigue. This free-to-download game has over 30 million downloads, and it's easy to see why. There's a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey
1: free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. There's really nothing like a good night's sleep. And if you don't believe me, get back to me after a night your kid or dog is up sick all night and you quickly change your tune. The older I get, the more I dream of a good night's sleep. Thankfully, Sleep Number can help make my daydreams a reality. Life is all about balance, but to get that balance, you need
0: a clear mind and a plan. Getting a good night's sleep is really where it all begins. And with Sleep Number, quality sleep is where it's at. When I'm sleeping on my sleep number setting at a 30, my sleep IQ is between an 85 and a 90, which is incredible as someone who has always struggled with getting a good night's sleep. And you'll just take our word for it. Sleepers who regularly use their Sleep Number 360 smart feature bed get almost 100 hours more of proven quality sleep each year. 100 hours more. Imagine the things that you could do with 100 hours of quality sleep. Maybe exercise, volunteer, start a ska band. Maybe not the last one, but with quality sleep, you might just end up with
1: a trombone in your hand. And I've discovered that my perfect sleep number setting is a 30, but occasionally I even go down to a 25 for an even softer, fluffier experience. I always wake up feeling like I got the best night of sleep, and my sleep IQ score of 87 confirms that I am sleeping better than ever. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com/moms. Sleep Number. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now back to the episode.
0: So before the break, we were talking about Jill Coit's third husband, who she had recently filed for divorce from, and he was found shot to death in his own home. Of course, police immediately find out that Jill had just filed for divorce a few weeks earlier, and they also heard through different interviews that William had been telling people that he knew that Jill was out to get his money. Investigators naturally wanted to speak to Jill, but wouldn't you know it, when they went to go question her, she was nowhere to be found, which is always a really good look when the police need to talk to you about your almost ex-husband's murder. So they end up finding her back in New Orleans, and she had already hired a lawyer at this point, and she had checked herself into a psychiatric hospital where she refused to speak to the Houston police when they came knocking. Eventually, the police just kind of stopped trying to get in touch with Jill. They literally tried to stop getting her in front of a grand jury, and the case went inactive.
1: That is so mind-blowing to me that they were just like, okay, this is too difficult because she's in this psychiatric hospital, so we're just going to go away and let this, you know, let this go. That just seems crazy to me. With all that was going on and they knew that, you know, they were going to be getting divorced, it seems really odd that they were just like, okay, we don't need to speak to her.
0: They, yeah, they have enough reasons to question this lady. Whether she's actually a suspect or not, they need to get some answers from her. And she's the one who could probably help them. So Jill eventually leaves the hospital and relocates to California. Or guess what happened,
1: Mandy? I can't imagine. She met a new man, did she? <laughs> <laughs> she met a new
0: man. Bruce Johansson, though, wasn't really like these other guys that Jill had been with in the past. This time, she wanted to do things a little bit differently. Bruce was actually in his nineties when Jill befriended him and talked him into adopting her. What? Yeah. Um, also, this happened in the Anna Nicole Smith story. Yes. Um, but like, she was try. I can't even remember it. Her. Who was it? Zsa Zsa Gabor's? Oh gosh, I'm gonna get You're wrong which Gabor the wrong it is. Person. <laughs> One of the Gabor sisters' husband was going to adopt Anna Nicole Smith, if I remember that correctly, and I don't think I do.
1: Was there Don't crimes? Was there crimes there? There, well,
0: there was like issues with, um, there was lawsuits and stuff with her losing her husband and did he actually sign over his will to her or not um it was one of the first uh, stories I covered on criminality it's I oh, think I'd remember I was just more.
1: going to say that sounds like a good um, <laughs> case You're for like... criminality <laughs>
0: <laughs> sending stories to me yeah so um back to that though um so she talks this guy into adopting her and she has her former attorney Louis DeRosa draw up this paperwork for this very thing So some people thought that Bruce was more of a sugar daddy than really a father figure, but whatever you want to call this, it really doesn't last long. Bruce actually died of natural causes a few months after this adoption, and Jill received money from the estate and numerous pieces of property as Bruce's heir. So literally, she only had to put in a few months' time with this guy, and she gets properties, money, everything. Just wild. So at this time, Jill is still using the last name Coit um, that she'd taken on when she married William, her third husband that had been murdered, and some say it was really kind of possible that she wanted to keep Coit as her last name because William's family was more well-to-do than hers had been, and she wanted to be associated with that name. And it's interesting because literally from this point on, every time she gets married, and there's still more weddings to come, she just hyphenated the name with Coit coming first, even though... That wasn't even her actual maiden name. So, I know. And can you <laughs> imagine so like, bizarre. his family being like, woman, stop doing this. Like, leave us alone. That would just be, yeah, totally bizarre.
1: So between November of 1973 and 1983, Jill got married, divorced, remarried, and double married to four different men. Jill's fourth husband, Marine Major Donald Brody, married Jill in California, but divorced less than two years in. For Jill's fifth marriage, she set her sights on her former attorney, Luis De Rosa, the one who helped her so much in the past when it came to hiding out in the psychiatric hospital until the investigators stopped coming around asking about a murder. And then again, when he helped her get adopted by an old man that she just met. That's wild. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you think she
0: would want to be like on good terms with this guy and be like, I need to keep him.
1: He's clearly doing a lot of work for me. I don't need to get him (laughs) that close because this isn't going to end well. Well, she didn't care about any of that. They got married (laughs) in um, 1976, and they did get divorced, and then they got remarried again all in the same year, which is just – just why you don't have to get married. You don't have to get married.
0: (laughs) No. Well, I guess if she's wanting – if her goal is to, like, get something from them,
1: I'm assuming that's going to be the way to do it. Yeah. So while she was still married to Louis, Jill married her sixth husband, a man named Eldon, and he was an Indiana auctioneer. We don't really know quite what Jill was up to between 1978 and 1983, but in January of 83, Jill got married to her seventh husband, Carl Steely. He was an Indiana school teacher. It wasn't until later in the summer of 1985 that Jill finally got a divorce from her fifth husband, the lawyer, Louis De Rosa. At that point, they had been separated for about eight years, and she had been married twice since then. Obviously, these are all illegitimate marriages because you can't be legally married right. to more than one person at a time. So I assume if I if she ever tried to apply for any benefits, you know, marriage benefits, obviously she would get busted for fraud. But I don't know how she got away with doing this so many times, you know, getting married on paper legally to more than one person at a time.
0: And especially with this attorney. Like, why did that – like, why did that divorce take so long? Again, I would think he would be
1: like, no, thank you. Let me get out of this. This was a mistake I won't make twice. For sure. Um, So now at this point, it's 1989, and Jill is married to her seventh husband, Carl. At some point during this year, Carl and Jill went on a trip to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, so that Carl could ski there. They ended up really falling in love with the town, and Carl thought that this would be a great place for him to retire. So the couple bought a house there, as well as the local Oak Street Bed and Breakfast. And the plan was for Jill and her son to run this bed and breakfast after they renovated it. So after buying these properties in Colorado, Carl returned to Indiana to finish out the school year because, remember, he was a teacher. And Jill stayed behind in Colorado to oversee the bed-and-breakfast renovation. However, when Carl returned to Steamboat, he learned that Jill had actually been conning him in more than one way. She never actually put Carl's name on the bed-and-breakfast paperwork, only her name and her son Seth's name. Carl also learned that Jill had been stealing money from his family inheritance as well as his regular bank accounts, and she had been covering this up by forging promissory notes. So Carl later said that he believed Jill began plotting ways to financially bankrupt him from the very moment that she met him, and he's probably right about that. She has a history of doing this. So Carl and Jill ended up separating, but once again, they did not get legally divorced. Jill then began dating a 51-year-old man named Jerry Boggs. She met Jerry at the hardware store located just around the corner from the Bed and Breakfast. Jerry owned the hardware store, and Jill saw him when she went in there to buy supplies for this renovation that she was doing. Up until this point, Jerry had been a lifetime bachelor, but he became smitten with Jill and started taking her out on two to three dates a week, and eventually they decided to just move in together. But unfortunately, Jerry was just another victim of Jill's serial conning.
0: Gerald William Boggs was born on May 27, 1941, to parents Harold and Sylvia. He was raised with one brother in Steamboat Springs, where he'd lived for his entire life. Jerry graduated from Steamboat Springs High School, and then he went on to the University of Colorado. In the fall of 1963, during his second to last semester of college, Jerry enlisted in the Army and applied to military intelligence school. He wasn't immediately sent off to basic training, though. He was actually able to finish out his degree in political science. Jerry also had a minor in Russian language. After he completed basic training, Jerry went into military intelligence school. In the fall of 1965, he went to Vietnam with the 1st Cavalry Division, which was a helicopter division, and he stayed there for a year before being sent home. He only stayed home for 30 days before re-enlisting for another year of duty in Vietnam. Once that was through, he was discharged in 1967, and he was later awarded a Bronze Star. It was after his time in the military that Jerry returned to Steamboat Springs and began working in his family's hardware store called Boggs Hardware. The story had been in downtown Steamboat since 1939. Jerry also then became a member of the Museum of Natural History and became a tour guide for the museum. I can't even imagine how much you have to know to be a tour guide at the Museum of Natural History. Yeah, I... Could never. <laughs> just taking a tour there, I would learn something every time they spoke, just because I would like my baseline is nothing. So right? everything <laughs> they said would be news to me. So, from all we really know about Jerry, though, it seems like he's just the kind of guy who has this real thirst for knowledge and learning. And so, while he's back living in Steamboat after the Army, Jerry took up pilot training classes under a government program and came out with qualifications to pilot multi engine aircrafts.
1: That is quite a hobby to take up. I mean, this guy's
0: life (laughs) is incredible. So he continues his education at the University of Colorado, where he loved to study anthropology and archaeology. He was always trying to further his education and really learn as much as possible. And as a quality of many other smart people, Jerry really, really loved to read. A friend later said that Jerry was ravenous for books and that he could make it through reading books that the average person wouldn't make it 10 pages into. This friend, Thane, said, quote, He was the good old boy, and yet he could sit down and have a conversation with just about anyone and discuss anything very intelligently. There aren't that many people that could do that. He was a real person. There was no pretense about Jerry Boggs. What you saw was what you get. And that's kind of a unique trait you don't find much anymore. He was a really bright, personable person, end quote. Jerry's other hobbies included scuba diving and taking underwater photos, which he learned to develop himself. And as far as his personality went, Jerry was really a gentle soul, known for his kindness and his easygoing demeanor. He was incredibly smart, patient, and interested in the stories of others. This seems like the coolest guy in the entire world. Yeah, he does. He can do anything. So Jerry was really well-known around Steamboat, Colorado, so you can see that he had a lot going for him that might appeal
1: to the likes of Jill Coit. So when Jill met Jerry, she told him that she was currently in the process of getting a divorce from her ex-husband, Carl. Jill shared a lot with Jerry regarding her thoughts about Carl and how she was worried that he was going to come after the bed and breakfast in their divorce. So Jerry helped Jill come up with a plan to make the bed and breakfast less desirable to Carl. And the plan was to have a lawyer draw up a deed of trust that would give Jerry a $100,000 lien on the bed and breakfast, effectively making it not worth Carl's while to fight Jill over it. Jill must have lied to Jerry at some point about her divorce being, you know, final, because on April 4th, 1991, what do you think happened with Jill and Jerry?
0: They fell in love and were together forever and... They got
1: married. Yeah. So before long, Jill announced that she was pregnant with Jerry's baby. Jerry was really, really excited. As we said, he had been a lifetime bachelor. He had never even been in a relationship serious enough to consider having children. He was very excited about this new addition. Yeah. And so he gets right to work, adding on to his house to make room for a baby. He started stocking up on baby things in preparation. He was just really excited to be a dad. So although things on paper seem like they're okay, you know, they're married, they're expecting a baby, Jerry started getting suspicious that Jill wasn't telling the whole truth about her past, you know, really her previous marriages. And he was thinking at this point that there was more marriages than what she had told him about. Yes. So he was so concerned about this that he decided to hire a private investigator named Stan Lewis to look into it. Stan uncovered the truth, which was that Jill was, in fact, still married to Carl Steely at the time that she married Jerry. When Jerry found this out, he immediately went and filed for an annulment. This was in December of 1991, and at this point, Jill should be about nine months pregnant. But in a twist, Jill takes off and leaves town, leaving her son Seth in Steamboat to operate the bed and breakfast. So Jill just disappears, and obviously, alarm bells start going off. Jerry's brother starts telling him, you know, I actually have some concerns about this situation. Yeah, Yeah. he told Jerry that he really was doubting that Jill was ever even pregnant. And so they contacted the PI, Stan Lewis, again, and they had his wife start looking into these pregnancy claims to find out, you know, is there a baby? Is there not a baby? By this time, Jerry was also suspicious that Jill was not pregnant. Little did anybody know, Jill had gone back to Houston and was attempting to start up a whole new life there. I mean, she is really just the master of ghosting people and just dropping a life that she's started yeah. somewhere and just moving right along to a new one. But surprise, surprise, while she was in Houston, she quickly Paid meets another man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pays her taxes. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> So in February of 1992, Jill gets married for the ninth time to 68-year-old Roy Carroll, who was a retired Navy chief, petty officer, and businessman. Just like the rest of her relationships, this one didn't last long. They soon split up, and Jill moved back to Colorado and reached out to Jerry again. She claimed that she had given birth to a daughter and begged Jerry to remarry her so that they could have a real family. She said that she had finally divorced Carl, officially, and now they could have a real marriage and they could raise their daughter together. Jerry agreed. But then the P.I. threw a wrench into all of that when he confirmed the suspicion on everybody's minds. Jill was never pregnant and had not given birth to any baby on the contrary, the PI found out that Jill actually had a hysterectomy and additionally, she was much older than she told Jerry she was.
0: Real quick. So say this was say they are going to go through with this, right? Say that's the what plan is her she plan? says. It. What is her
1: plan? What's her exactly. plan?
0: Exactly. If she he has says, "Yes,
1: we're getting married and and he's expecting to have a baby present." when they get together, like, what is she going to do? I don't understand. I really don't understand. And that's where it gets scary, too, because with people like that, you're like, what was your plan? Like Exactly. Hopefully nothing terrible, like, you know, kidnapping a child. But it's like, you don't know with people like this. Yep, exactly. So Jerry, of course, felt very humiliated and just devastated when he learned all of these like very heavy truth bombs about Jill. And believe it or not, we still have more to get into of this story, uh, but we're going to take one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. There's never been a better time to take care of yourself than now. Whether something in your life is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, the licensed professional therapists with BetterHelp want to help you become the best you this year. BetterHelp is professional counseling that you can do right from the comfort of your home through weekly video or phone sessions. I've used BetterHelp
0: over the past several years, and I can't tell you what a relief it is just to get all my thoughts out to a professional without ever having to leave the house. I deal with anxiety and depression and have most of my adult life, so having someone I can talk through with these different scenarios or those big immediate problems that
1: pop up in life has really been invaluable,
0: especially in the past few years.
1: Of course, anything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential, and best of all, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. Whether you're struggling with family issues, sleep, stress, or more, BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. In fact, so many people have been using
0: BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash moms.
1: We are all crunched for time, and sometimes taking care of yourself can feel more like a luxury instead of a necessity. Noom wants to help you take care of you without a restrictive diet or workout program. Noom Weight uses psychology to help empower you and teach you practical ways for you to be able to take care of yourself with sustainable habits and behaviors.
0: Whether you're looking to lose weight or just to create healthier habits, Noom can help you get there. What I really like about Noom though, is that I'm creating a healthier lifestyle, not rushing to get to some magic number on the scale. I've learned several life hacks from Noom, stuff that I really use every day, including substitutions to make healthier choices, as well as the knowledge and encouragement that if I fall off my goals one day, that's okay. Noom is there for me in the long run, so you can use something that works for you and not the other way around. Plus the Noom app is super easy to use and you can choose how long you're on it, five, 10, or 15 minutes. You're in total control.
1: Sign up for your trial and get psychology-based support and motivation to reach your goals at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot slash moms. That's N-O-O-M dot slash moms to sign up for your trial.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing Dash Pass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With Dash Pass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between,
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Jill and Jerry and how Jerry's just found out that not only did Jill not have his baby, um, she had had a hysterectomy and was actually much older than she had ever told him. So Jill tries to convince Jerry that she did indeed have this baby, but he refuses to listen to her at this point and tells her he is not going to marry her. And then that's where things start to get a little messy. Jill tells Jerry that if he's not going to marry her, he needs to release that fake $100,000 lien he had on her bed and breakfast. And Jerry said no.
1: I think that's funny that he said no.
0: (laughs) I know. Well, I think she's just not used to people doing that, that they just go along with whatever her plan is. And obviously, she thought she could get him back again. So Jill files this civil lawsuit against him, which, wow, lady, that, like, you feel like you'd stay under the radar. Yeah, Yeah. as much as you can. And so in this lawsuit, she states that she wants him to release the $100,000 deed of trust. Jerry then countersues Jill for fraud and for emotional distress. According to the Lafayette Journal and Courier, the case file for these civil lawsuits was around 12 inches thick and was, quote, filled with accusations and counter accusations, end quote. According to Jerry's counter lawsuit, Jill kept telling people that after she gave birth to the baby, that Jerry kicked her out. Jill then refutes Jerry's claims and says that she never even told Jerry that she was pregnant. She said she had told him that she had had a partial hysterectomy and could not have children any longer. During a deposition, Jill said, quote, I'm not pregnant and was not pregnant. If you were having sex with me, even every other weekend, you would know whether I was nine months pregnant or not, wouldn't you? I rest my case. That's all I can say, in quote. Uh, is she an attorney now? I don't really get this whole thing. I don't
1: really get that whole thing either. And that's not even like a true statement because every woman carries pregnancy differently. And you I, I mean, totally. I have definitely met women that it is not obvious if they are pregnant. And like that is... I don't know. And especially for him, like, wanting to believe that he was having a baby, like, I don't think it's that crazy that he believed her.
0: No, not at all. I, I totally agree. So friends and family, though, say that both Jill and Jerry told them that they were expecting a baby in the winter of 1991, early 1992. And it was later found out that Jerry had secretly recorded a conversation with Jill about her faking the pregnancy. Jill ended up moving four hours away to Greeley so that she could take classes at the University of Northern Colorado. While she's there, you're never going to guess what she did. She meets a 48-year-old man named Mike Backus, who is a telephone repairman and Vietnam veteran. Jill eventually moves into Mike's house, and meanwhile, Jerry is still going full speed ahead with his counter lawsuit against her. A trial date was set for this on October 27, 1993.
1: As this civil suit trial date approached, Jill began to feel this increasing level of anger towards Jerry for bringing all this trouble onto her. Not that she has brought any of this onto herself. This is all Jerry's doing in her eyes. Right. By the summer of 1993, Jill had worked herself up to the point that she was seriously talking about having Jerry killed. Keep in mind, Jill has already dodged the police once after her third husband was found murdered, and she was really the only one with a motive. If she were to go to court with Jerry, there's a good chance that her past would be brought up and she just couldn't risk that happening. So Jill started talking to her new friend, Mike, about killing Jerry, and they both started asking people to help them do it. It never ceases to amaze me how easily people can convince a complete stranger that they just met to go along for the ride of murdering another human being. I just don't understand how... Hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but yeah. like, <laughs> can we kill my ex-husband? Like, what is going Baby, on here? I don't yeah. understand this. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't understand how people go along with this stuff. So Jill actually asked her son, Seth, another thing I don't understand people doing, um, if he would kill Jerry for her. And then he asked if, you know, the answer was no to that, then would he help her kill him? Her son, Seth, said no, but Jill still tried to get him to help her by telling her how to best break into Jerry's house and do the job herself. She even asked Seth if he would at least pick up Jerry's body and dump it if she left it outside. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Don't involve your kids in this stuff. This is madness. So Seth just had one word of advice for his dear old mom, and he said, quote, if you do anything stupid, wear gloves, end quote. I don't even know about any of this. Um, I know. So that's like, uh, okay. Just go to the police. I just, I don't understand. Thank you. <laughs> First thing I thought. So Seth was a dead end when it came to finding an accomplice, so Mike asked one of his coworkers named Troy if he would kill Jerry for $3,500, but after he said no, he upped the offer to $7,000, and I assume Troy still said no, because after that, Jill asked some random woman to kill Jerry and told this random woman that Jerry was a rapist and a sexual deviant, she actually met this person on a trip to Iowa with Mike while he was um, repairing telephone lines that were damaged in a flood there. And this woman, of course, said, no, I will not do that. Of but can course. you imagine <laughs> being asked that? Like, how? where did the conversation
0: start to get to there?
1: No, I'm and not like talk some to anyone. crazy things have happened to me in public. You know, I've had some interesting people approach me with some interesting questions or you know comments but nothing like this i can't imagine a stranger approaching me and just being like telling me any like no that just no. doesn't doesn't fit it doesn't seem there's no scenario it where seem i would real. be like okay yeah exactly i would be concerned you know about the whole thing so after trying and failing to find anyone else to do the job for them jill and her new beau mike decided that they would just do it on their own on october 14th 1993 They each drove to Steamboat Springs in separate cars and they both stayed at the bed and breakfast. Jill told her son Seth not to clean her room while they were there, which made him suspicious. So he looked inside, but he didn't see anything at the time, which is important. It will come up later.
0: On October 21st, Jerry goes to lunch with his brother and some friends. After that, he stops by an office supply store and then he heads home. He was last seen at around 1 p.m. that day. Sometime after 1 p.m., Jill and Mike break into the 52-year-old Jerry's house. They beat him in the head with a shovel, shock the side of his face with a stun gun, and shot him in the chest with a 22 caliber. At around 3.30 or 4 p.m., Jill calls her son Seth and says, quote, hey baby, it's done and it's messy, end quote. Seth told her, quote, don't talk to me, end quote, and hung up. Jill and Mike then go back to Greeley. So Seth then checks in his mom's room and he said that it smelled and there were drops of blood in the sink and on a towel. So Seth was nervous about this, as he should be, but he decided to clean up the mess. He would later tell his wife about what happened. On October 22nd, Jerry doesn't show up at the hardware store for a meeting and he wasn't answering his phone. So his brother Doug went over to Jerry's to check on him. Inside, Doug found Jerry dead on the kitchen floor. Steamboat Springs detectives arrived on the scene, and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation came in as well. The director of public safety for the Steamboat Springs Police Department, J.D. Hayes, later told the Steamboat pilot that the town rarely has any violent crime. In fact, the only homicide in the town in the previous 10 years happened back in 1991 when a man killed his ex and her boyfriend, and then he took his own life. So the first thing the investigators do is walk around the neighborhood to see if anyone saw anything that day. So several people told investigators that they saw a man and a woman wearing what they believed were Halloween costumes near Jerry's home on the day he was murdered. The witnesses said that the woman was wearing a bulky jacket, a baseball cap, and a fake mustache. Hmm, very convincing. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And they said they could tell it was a woman by the way she was walking. They said the man was wearing a tan jacket and blue jeans but he also had a fake mustache. One of the witnesses said it was so obvious these people were wearing costumes that she actually took notice and thought it was strange. So much so that she actually goes inside her house and locks the door. I don't think that's the point of a like of being undercover or whatever. Like I think it's to like fit in and not to Yeah,
1: put but- a mustache on <laughs> like
0: you're gym from the office and you're going yeah. to
1: Ithacum? I think it's funny though that the neighbor was like, "Well, this is a little odd, like these two people out here in costumes." But it's not something like it's something that if you saw, you would like definitely notice it and be like, "Well, that's strange." But it's not something that you would alert the authorities to no. at that time, you know. It's just something that you would be like, "Okay, I'm going inside and locking my doors until these people in costumes go away," <laughs> you right. know. But it's not something that you would immediately think like I don't know. I wouldn't think crime. Maybe I should because it's literally a disguise, Honestly, but like, I yeah. wouldn't be fine because I, I don't know. I just I'm wh- going to be watching out my window the entire time until they're <laughs> gone. <laughs> so the investigators found out that Jerry had filed a civil lawsuit against Jill that was set to begin five days after he was killed. The more they looked at the crime scene and spoke to the witnesses, the more obvious it became that the two people wearing fake mustaches were Jill and her new friend Mike. They weren't even trying to focus on them as suspects, but the evidence just kept leading the police right back to these two. Investigators spoke with Jill and Mike, and they said that they were camping at the Kelly Flats campground in Poudre Canyon on October 21st. The officers were skeptical of this story, and they continued to gather evidence to prove that they were lying. On October 25th, Jill must have been worried because she called her son Seth and asked him if the police had been questioning him at all. She asked Seth all kinds of questions, like whether or not the police knew Jerry's time of death. She mentioned something about having, um, or not having, rather, what she was calling a seven-hour alibi. I don't really know what that means, but she must have been thinking that she needed... I wonder
0: if there's a seven-hour period that she couldn't account for what she
1: was doing. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. On October 26th, Jerry was laid to rest by his family and friends. Funeral attendees claimed that they saw Jill and Mike passing by Jerry's funeral and they said that Jill had her stupid disguise on again with her fake mustache and that they were driving a red sports car. Finally, on November 23rd, both Jill and Mike were arrested. Police found a number of suspicious items in Jill's car and among Jill and Mike's belongings. A stun gun was found in the car and they also found plane tickets to Mexico and train passes for Europe. While being interviewed, Jill constantly asked investigators if they knew when Jerry died. When they asked her where she was between October 20th and 22nd, she actually refused to tell them anything because she said that they were just going to use whatever she said to give this fake time of death on Jerry. When Jill's ex-husbands were contacted by the media for comment, the only one who would talk was Carl Steely. He said that he felt lucky to be alive, and he recalled two different incidents that may have been murder attempts on his life by Jill. One morning, Jill made coffee for Carl, and he headed into work. After he drank the coffee, he said he lost consciousness and fell to the floor and hit his head. He ended up going to the doctor, and they ran tests, but they were inconclusive. So that's pretty scary. Yeah. Another time, Carl was riding his bike through an intersection when a garbage truck driver tried to run him down. At first he thought this was just a really weird coincidence, but the more he thought about it, the more it seemed suspicious, which yeah, why would he just target a random person? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Of course it was probably something that she had tried to set up. Um so while awaiting trial, Jill gave an interview to the media and in true Jill fashion, she lied a whole lot throughout it. One of her best lies was that she has completed 9 years of college and has worked as a counselor specializing in what she was calling quote Suicidology. She said that she couldn't get certified in Colorado because, quote, authorities told her there weren't enough suicides in the state, end quote. Um, So when she was asked, you know, why did she have so many husbands? Jill said that she had a one year track record with everyone. She said, quote, I just don't seem able to make a marriage work. She added, I'm Southern. I guess I should have affairs, but I don't. I marry them, end quote. Jill said the only marriage that she ever counted was her third one to William Coit. She said, quote, I totally fell in love. I remain a Coit and will always be a Coit, end quote. His family must oh be gosh. like, oh, my gosh, can we please get rid of this woman? Please. Like, can we petition yeah. to like have her forced to change her name? Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. that's so crazy. Like for his family, like especially after he has been murdered and it's been found out all of this, like I would just be like beside myself if she was keeping that last name
0: yeah totally so jill claimed that she hadn't seen jerry for nearly two years before he was killed she said she learned about his murder from a former attorney not the one she was married to and she claimed really that jerry's intellect is what drew her to him she said steamboat springs didn't have a lot of eligible bachelors who were intelligent so she gave jerry a try but they also weren't really as compatible as it turned out to be Jill said that the first trouble really arose just two weeks after their wedding when Jerry went to Belize to scuba dive without her. Jill said, quote, he told me he couldn't spend two weeks in a confined area with one person. He had never been married and probably never should have gotten married, end quote. The media asked Jill about the civil lawsuit and about the alleged baby of Jerry's that she had had, but Jill wouldn't talk to them. She said that the lawsuit was still pending, which how is the lawsuit still pending? This man is dead. Right. Right how right (laughs) so after this interview jill tells the media that she swore she was telling the truth the whole time and that the only thing she ever lied about was her age she said quote i go anywhere from 35 to 50 (laughs) man
1: i go anywhere from 38 up (laughs) yeah 35 to 50 is quite a big like how how it is i I want to know how you can look 35 and 50 how do you pass for both of those those are pretty big differences
0: Yeah, that's, that's a range there, girl. So on February 15th, 1995, opening statements uh, began in Jill and Mike's trial. They were being tried jointly and the trial had to be moved to Hot Sulphur Springs due to the publicity the case received. Prosecutors said that Jill was an evil, conniving, manipulative person who murdered Jerry because of the impending civil suit he had against her. They said that Jill was scared that the evidence related to her past would be brought out in this trial prosecutors actually weren't allowed to bring out any testimony regarding the death of jill's third husband william coit they also weren't allowed to use a chart to show the jury the dates of all jill's marriages and divorces i just love the idea <laughs> of thinking of like a flow chart and just
1: like <laughs> the dates and everything well, it being sounds like you need to one to find out like who she was married, when was she married to two people at the same time like when did she finally divorce i mean it's so it's hard to keep track in your head about all that she had going on imagine that
0: that was like the paralegals only job (laughs) because there's so (laughs) there's so much to do that's like one paralegal got that job and then they're like we can't use it in court and they're like
2: oh my gosh
0: (laughs) so jill's son seth actually takes the stand against her in the trial and by doing this he was given immunity for being an accessory to the murder because remember he cleaned up that room and didn't tell anybody So the defense said that no physical evidence could be linked to Jill or Mike and that the couple was away camping when the murder took place. Jill and Mike, very smartly in my opinion, did not testify
1: in the trial. On May 23rd, Jill and Mike were sentenced to life without parole for murder and 48 years for conspiracy. Jill and Mike have both filed appeals, but all have been denied. Jill was never charged with her third husband, William Coit's death, because Houston police felt that it was too late to reopen the investigation. She was and is the only suspect, which is crazy to me that I I didn't think there was a statute of limitations on murder. There isn't. So I don't understand. That's, yeah, that doesn't, I mean,
0: this was the same group at the time that was like, where is she? The psychiatric hospital? Right. Uh, that's all the way on the other right. side of town. <laughs> We're
1: not going there. This is too much. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it's strange. Um, so in 2012, Jill filed a lawsuit against the Department of Corrections, claiming that between September of 2009 and June of 2010, that she was raped and threatened by a guard and quote, subjected to cruel and unusual punishment and denied due process and access to courts, end quote. Jill said that the Department of Correction officials ignored her reports. In her lawsuit, she asked for multiple things, including $11 million in damages, $11 million in damages, free postage, telephone, and internet access, and to be housed in minimum security. This lawsuit has gone nowhere. Um, It's just another one of Jill's cons. Today, Jill is in her late 70s and is incarcerated in the Denver Women's Correctional Facility. And today, Mike is also in his late 70s and is also incarcerated, but in a separate prison. He is in the Limon Correctional Facility. That is the story of Jill Coit and her many husbands. And unfortunately, the murder of, I think, two of them. We don't know for sure about the third husband, but I think that she definitely was responsible for his death.
0: Crazy story. I can't quite get over the mustachio of it all. Yeah, um, that's that's too much. No one would have thought anything if two people were just driving around. Or maybe, but they wouldn't have taken note of it. Right. But if you've got some lady, you know, in a very obvious Halloween costume staking out somebody's house, you're going to notice quite a few things. It's one of those things, like, if you hear, like, a crazy noise and you see something outside, like, you take note of the time. And, you know, like, those kind of things, you're just like, huh. But if it was just a random firework or something, I wouldn't think twice about it. Something like that where it's just like, why why would you bring more attention to yourself? You could not have left the Halloween store that's open like one week out right. of the year and said, this looks good. I'm really
2: going to be able to pull right. this off. That, that
0: I don't get it. And just involving your son and trying to involve other people. Oh, I feel so bad for you know their families and my goodness, and William um, Coit's family – never getting really any answers yeah, from that's
1: this really point. sad to me because it just seems like the police the investigators on that one were just like not really interested in working on that case. I, it kind of blows my mind like why they didn't really work harder to figure out what happened there. Right. Yeah. All right, Melissa, so are we ready to turn the page and move on to the last thing before we go? Yes, I am. All right. I sounded very cheerful about that. You did. And that's because we're going to talk about Love, kind of. Love gone wrong. Wh- yeah. We're just continuing stories. the theme, right. basically. Yeah. <laughs>
0: with Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Uh, it'll be right after this episode comes out. So, Mandy, we are taking Valentine's Day horror stories basically yes, from the internet. We are. Yes, yeah.
1: we are. We each pulled some funny little Valentine's Day horror stories from the internet because I think we've already talked before about how we don't really celebrate Valentine's Day and all that fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. So we're not gonna tell you about how our boring plans to do nothing. We'll tell you about yeah. other people who had plans, big plans, and they didn't go well for not Valentine's Day. Yeah, because
0: everybody loves a good <laughs>
1: fail story. It makes us all feel human.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, then I don't feel so bad about not doing anything for Valentine's. Yeah, Day. Yeah, right. I'm like it could be this. It could, this. could turn it could this. into could this.
1: this. Exactly. So if you don't have plans, th- this is this is for you. This is the last thing before we go for you, so that you will feel happier about not having f- plans for Valentine's Day.
0: This one's for the girls. Yeah, Let's yeah. Do this one's for the girls. All right, Melissa, you want to go first. I do. So I'm reading this from Karen from Facebook. I found this on a BuzzFeed article, and I'll have those linked in the show notes. But this one says, for our first Valentine's Day, my boyfriend gave me five pounds of soy wax, about 1,000 wicks, a case of empty mason jars, and a ton of scented oils. He got me the pieces to make candles. I have never expressed any interest in making my own candles. (laughs) Think of just the amount of room all of this is going to take up. (laughs) Just, I mean, like a case of empty mason jars. Like I'm just looking, thinking of this like, and you have
1: to make at least one. Oh my gosh. I know. That's like one of those things that like, I hate gifts like that where you're like forced to use it because they're going to like want to see that you used this gift. Right. Yeah. I hate that. Don't ever give me anything that I have to use or like that, like you're going to ask me about later. Just
0: a thousand wicks. (laughs) He is really I mean, he was like pushing her into like business. an MLM or something. like, something. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's ready to start a story. She's going to be a boss yeah. babe. <laughs> okay. So here's one that I think is, oh my gosh, this is just so like terrible, but funny. I don't know who this person is. Her name is Meredith. I'm so sorry, Meredith. If you're out there, I feel very bad for you. Um, She said, I was casually seeing a guy for a few weeks and wasn't sure if I wanted to get more serious. Then he asked me out on Valentine's Day and I was flattered. I thought, he must be ready to take our relationship to the next level. When we got to the restaurant, we sat down and a waiter handed us the special prefix menu. My date asked, oh, is it Valentine's Day? And I nodded. He seemed genuinely shocked and even had the nerve to tell me that he wouldn't have asked me out if he'd known that that was the day. (laughs) (laughs) that is so awful like can you imagine i can't imagine being on either side of the table there because for the guy like how terrible if he's like oh my gosh i just invited this girl for a date and like didn't even realize it was valentine's day and like because it's just a crappy situation awkward for about everybody
0: yeah that happened on uh valentine's day that happened on the office oh no something similar so don't know if she stole that story, oh. but um, no, I'm just kidding. Meredith, Meredith Maybe
1: you stole the not story. fighting words.
0: <laughs> Meredith's also from The Office. This is all seeming very familiar. Okay, Meredith, I will leave you alone. So the next one is uh, from Emily on Facebook as well. Uh, my birthday is on Valentine's Day, and my now ex bought me a six-pack of Cadbury cream eggs. Mm. Easter chocolate? I don't even like chocolate. Emily, what is wrong with you, girl? I, I pulled Cadbury this one because I was – Angry. Yeah. Can you imagine being insulted by this?
1: No. Like, what is the problem? What of is you? the problem?
0: <laughs> Cadbury cream eggs are my love language, and this is impossible, Emily. I hope the best for you because this was the best man you ever found, and this is just really. I'm sad for you. I'm sad for you.
1: <laughs> I'm into him. <laughs> okay. Well, at least you didn't end up like this lovely lady Chloe, who says that last Valentine's Day I went on a blind date. He took me to this fabulous little sushi spot and things were going great. It comes up in conversation that he is a black belt in Taekwondo. The next thing I know, I've been secured in what he referred to as a cobra chokehold in his attempts (gasps) to teach me some of his moves. Let's just say I won't be going on a blind date this Valentine's Day.
2: (laughs) Oh, my
0: gosh. That is truly horrific. I cannot imagine. Oh, I would just like scratch it out of my calendar every year. You can't come back from no. that that's terrible yeah. okay I got one from somebody named Chelsea this one says last Valentine's Day my long my long distance boyfriend and I got into a fight I decided to try and say sorry by sending him a heart shaped pizza from Pizza Hut I got a phone call about 30 minutes after I ordered saying that he refused my pizza oh, no. so the Pizza Hut girl called to ask what I wanted to do with <laughs> I started crying on the phone and told her to eat my love no. pizza Oh, oh. So awful. How how awkward would the poor pizza hut girl feel and like also like this goes down as like one of the craziest nights of her entire definitely. life like she was mad that she had to work on Valentine's Day but this made it all work definitely and she got a pizza <laughs> uh, totally I love pizza. Right?
1: okay I have one last one I feel like yep. this is kind of going back to the reason why we just don't really celebrate Valentine's Day in my house and maybe in yours this this might be a familiar tale to you. This is from Allison. Um, My now husband pulled out all the stops making an epic three course meal. In the process, he clogged our kitchen sink, also leading to our bathroom sink overflowing. I think he and our landlord stayed up until 1am trying to fix it and save our hardwood floors from water damage. Sadly, no romance was on the (gasps) table that night. Mandy, didn't that happen to me? Am I like having a what is Wait, happening? Is that how did it happened? Did something like did,
0: that happen? Did, was he making you an epic three-course no, meal? No, separate. That was a separate situation. That was when I accidentally flooded the bathroom. Yeah. But this was a different – I swear we had something crazy that like my husband finally made dinner and it like had
1: a plunder involved and all of that. (laughs) I didn't hear that story if that Are we living parallel lives? Oh, my (laughs) God. Maybe I wrote that anonymously. Maybe you did. Maybe you like wrote that into that – what's that? Whisper app where you can like anonymously share your like secrets and angers. Oh,
0: my gosh. Yeah. It's way too familiar, and that is scary. That's scary that my life is such a like crapshoot that I can hear that story and think, that could have happened to me, and don't even know because so many other terrible things have happened since. Oh, my gosh.
1: I know. When I read JK. some things on the internet, I'm just like, I have never had a unique experience in my life. Like There's, no. there's nothing mm-hmm. that somebody else hasn't also experienced. Um, yeah. So anyway, those were just some fun little Valentine's Day gone wrong Yeah. Um, horror stories because, like I said, that's fun. Everybody likes – a horror story
0: <laughs> yeah and if you're looking for a fun show to listen to um check out uh world's dumbest criminals our friend tara she um hosts or she co-hosts the podcast bloody murder i think they're on hiatus right now um but tara has a new one all about the world's dumbest criminals that you might want to check out and we'll play a promo for that at the end of this episode
1: all right guys that is it for this week we will be back next week same time same place new story
2: have a great week bye Did you hear about the Welsh tourists who got drunk and stole a penguin named Dirk from SeaWorld on the Gold Coast? Or the Canadian guy who tried to beat a breathalyser test by eating his own underpants? Hey, I'm Tara Saraban from World's Dumbest Criminals, an upbeat podcast about deadbeat crims. Join me every Monday to hear about the most ridiculous, bizarre and downright stupid crimes and criminals in the world ever. Like the Australian man who put out an unsuccessful hit on his wife and freaked out when she crashed her own funeral. Or the Chinese woman who deliberately ran 49 red lights in her ex-boyfriend's car. World's Dumbest Criminals is available on iTunes, Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe if you don't want to miss any criminally stupid shenanigans.